Long Take Review, a film podcast with one eye always on the Oscar race. I'm your host, Jensip Chakshai Bankard, and I'm here with a friend who also did not go to Park City, Utah last weekend, to my knowledge. It's P.T. McNiff. How's it going, P.T.? It's going well. I didn't go there. I will say for my opening quote, I was trying to look up something from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. There's really no, like, all the memorable lines are exchanges. So I was going to go oh, with- Oh, so there's no one-liners. Yeah. I was going to go with Butch and me have been talking it all over. Wherever the hell Bolivia is, that's where we're off to. Which makes sense in the context of the movie, and Sundance does say that. But I feel like if I just threw that at you <laughs> as the opening thing, you would be like, what? And and the audience would also- I would have assumed it was a Robert Redford uh, reference, founder of Sundance. Yes, it was. Sundance I mean, Festival. the Sundance kid, uh, the the titular character. Right, right, right. So, and noticeably, this may be jumping the gun because we haven't even, I haven't even finished our intro yet, but I noticed that he is not featured in the intros anymore. Yeah. Maybe he's so, just taking a step back. Uh, okay. So... The Sundance Film Festival, which is what we've been just uh, out of context bantering about, just wrapped up. And PT and I, as we said, were not able to attend in person, but we did take advantage of some of the online screenings on offer. So we are here today to share our reviews of the films that we saw. I think between the two of us, it's probably like like 10 total, maybe. I, think I didn't get like an exact number. One, two, three, four, five. It's seven because we okay. overlapped quite a bit. Because we overlapped. We, we each saw five. Okay, there we go. And then uh, we, you know, we'll do a little bit at, to start with. We'll do a little bit of talk about the buzz coming out of the in-person festival, and then go into our our own reactions to the movies that we actually got to see online. Uh, and you know, we're gonna. There were some breakout hits. There were some misses, apparently. And I'm excited to talk about it all. But first, PT, if folks want to give us the Sundance Audience Award after listening to this episode, what can they do? Oh, so clever. That one worked for me. I like that. Uh, well, look, if you don't want to miss out on on a trip to our own personal park cities, uh, please follow the Long Take Review wherever you get your podcasts. That's that's uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Overcast, uh, Google Podcasts, I think is, is one that I looked up and we are on it. Um, we host the feed on Jen Substack at thelongtake.substack.com. So you could also follow her over there. Uh, and you can follow us if you're more uh, meta-minded on Instagram uh, and or threads uh, at The Long Take Review. Thanks, PT. So we're going to get into a little bit of sort of reviewing the reviews coming out of Sundance. This is very secondhand. <laughs> this is the best secondhand information you're going to get uh, about, about Sundance. It's all right here. Uh, but first, I think we, we should give a little bit of context, especially for those who are not familiar with the Sundance Film Festival. It is a really big festival uh, that happens every year. And it mostly focuses on indie films, or that's what it's kind of known for. Um, but what what has been great and the reason kind of I've gotten more into it is when uh, the pandemic started, they moved the whole festival to online. And then I was like, this is amazing. Like it's something I would never be able to go to. Normally I can now watch some of these movies from home and I've been doing it ever since. And after they returned to in-person, unfortunately for those of us who like watching at home, they started to sort of separate the slate. So it's some of the movies were in person only 
mostly the sort of big premieres that were not in competition, but then they kept all of the in competition films to online for the most part. So that, you know, it is a little strategic on their part in terms of like the bigger movies that are not just competing in the festival, but like actually want to sort of like make a splash are limiting to in-person. I, I get it, but it just, it makes it a little less, I don't know if this is how you feel, but it's just a little less exciting. I really, the first year when they had everything online, I really felt like I was, I was in it. <laughs> yeah. The, that first year, it was really just what can you get tickets for? Because they did still limit and they do still now as well. A couple of the movies did sell out, uh, They but they limit sort of how many people can get a ticket to watch it online. And uh, yeah, that first year was just everything. Everything is is possible. Uh, you just needed a, a friend like Jen to be like, "Hey, this is a thing that's happening. Like, why don't why don't you go and look and see what what movies you wanna you wanna watch?" And uh, I, I I remember missing. I think Judas and the Black Messiah is like the one I didn't get. I wanted tickets for, and it was already sold out by the time I right. got there. But yeah, it shifted. I feel like it's partly the like you know who's in competition, who's not. I think it's also any movie that's not in competition that already has distribution is like that. That feels to me like the sweet spot for it will only be in person. They already have a distributor with plans and those plans may not involve however many tens or hundreds or thousands. I don't know how many can buy these tickets, but a bunch of people watching it at home online for money that goes to Sundance. and doesn't go to a box office total. So um, the big one last year that was, you know, the, uh, I think, uh, looking back as it stands, the the only one that has a real impact in the current Oscar race was Past Lives. That was, uh, I don't know if it was a premiere there, uh, like a, a global premiere. I know it was the American premiere. And it was, a, but immediately it was just like, this movie is incredible. Like the, the buildup to it was strong. And then it, 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 as soon as it screened, everyone was like, oh my God, for Reasons that those who listen to the podcast will know we all feel similarly, but that was not available online, uh, much to our consternation. So, yeah, there was a similar, you know, divide between what could be seen in person versus what can be seen at home. Yeah, I had serious FOMO last year when, when everyone was talking, all the critics that we follow we're talking about past lives and I'm like, well, I couldn't even see that. <laughs> it's really, it really bummed me out, but you know, we got to see it eventually and, and basket it's glow. And so that's fine. I actually, yeah, I've, I had pretty good luck cause I am a maniac who like is really good at refreshing pages so I can buy tickets exactly when it opens. And so uh, I actually saw Coda, which went on to win best picture at its Sundance premiere virtually. I remember sitting on my bed with my laptop on my lap and just like crying and being really angry about it. Uh, <laughs> that was, that's my memory of watching Coda at, at Sundance virtually. Um, and then, yeah, I actually did see Juice and the Black Messiah as well. And I remember thinking like, whoa, like they, is this going to have an Oscars campaign? And sure enough, it kind of did. It was sort of like a last minute. I remember like we weren't, cause it didn't actually premiere or release widely until like the week of the Oscars. It was some really weird timing. Well, it was that, it was, that, it was the pandemic year where it had that tale of movies in January and February also counted. And it oh, came right. out, even the limited release, I feel like was late January. Yeah. Or it was after New Year's. And so it felt weird that it was like, I guess this is in the running. But, you know, one, Daniel Kaluuya won uh, a, an Oscar for it. And it's, I think the song one, I think her, um, which, uh, yeah, I mean, excellent movie. I really liked that movie. 
so so we're going to first start with talking about sort of the buzz coming out of the in-person festival, all the movies that we didn't get to see ourselves, but we're because we are closely following critics through our reviews and podcasts and all that kind of stuff. What what seem to be the things that we're going to need to keep an eye out for when they do release to the rest of us. Um, <laughs> PT, what to you was kind of the biggest winner coming out of the in-person festival? I feel like the, the movie that was getting the most the most buzz was Dee Dee, uh, which is a a coming of age movie uh, set in two thousand and eight, uh, and it's it's uh, oh no I didn't uh, I didn't save the name of the person who actually wrote and directed it, but is it Sean? Uh, I think it's Sean Wang. Okay, I want to say, but I will let I will let Jen look it up while I, while I just keep barreling forward with the notes I did have. Um, and it's it's about like a Taiwanese American family and 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 this thirteen year old boy that's the you know fill in for the writer um, and and him you know coming of age over a summer and look, trying to figure out how to talk to girls and navigate like his grandmother and all these things uh, and everyone just said it was super charming it had that you know specificity of a sort of you know the, the Asian American experience uh, 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 at, in a family at that time. That the, the MySpace vibes were were very strong, the the instant messenger, um, sort of the, the tail end of the instant messenger era, that the, those sounds it was a lot of a lot of nostalgia bumps yeah. in it, uh, and yeah, people just said that like everyone who went to go see it just was raving about it, uh, and it won right. the audience award, which is pretty substantial. I feel like you know in in doing a quick glimpse of the. Sundance uh, roster of winners, the audience award tends to be the movie that I was like, oh, that I've seen that movie. That movie made a splash when it actually came out more so than the the grand jury dramatic prize winner, right? Uh, which can sometimes be a little bit more obscure. Coda, in fact, best picture winner Coda was the audience award winner for that year. So there you go. There, yeah, there is definitely a correlation. And I think the one the year after that was, uh, have you seen Cha Cha Real Smooth? A movie you that know, no one cared about after it came out. <laughs> I, I never did. It felt like that was a movie people were really talking about. And then it, it came out and immediately, like everyone who didn't see it at Sundance was like, this isn't good. And uh, yeah, expectations and it, were too high, I guess. Yes. And then and then it deflated. I think there's a particular sort of vibe that movie was going for. I I remember a, a fellow long take reviewer, Antonio Elefano, had a very strong opinion about it. And I honestly can't remember if he loved it or hated it. But I, but I feel like he didn't like it because I remember hearing from him about it. And then I haven't watched it. So I think if he loved it, I would have gone to watch it. I thought it was good. And what I learned from that uh, that year was was the Dakota Johnson stands are not to be trifled with. Because I think I remember it was back when Twitter was still like somewhat functional. And <laughs> I remember tweeting something and doing hashtag Dakota Johnson. Or I said something complimentary about Dakota Dakota Johnson because she was quite good in the film. And then just like, I was like, this is the most popular tweet I've ever written. Like, why? <laughs> and then I looked and I was like, oh, it's like all of the people with Dakota Johnson in their account name. Yeah. Just retweeting it. And I was like, oh, now I understand. <laughs> so that was interesting. I um, I will say, looking back at my uh, uh, at the, the the Wikipedia page of Sundance Film Festival winners, I will say for the last decade at least, maybe I should walk back a little bit. the The Audience Award winner is better. There's been a lot of overlap where the Grand Jury Prize and the uh, the Audience winner 
is the same. Um, and that, you know, generally memorable movies, Fruitvale Station, Whiplash, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, um, the, the Birth of a Nation that kind of came, had, had ran aground, had some problems. Uh, and then Minari was, is, the, is the one before Coda. Minari won both, as did Coda. So, um, yeah, you know, and those were both Best Picture nominees, Coda a winner, um, Minari got an acting award. So, you know, these, these, there's something, there's something from the Sundance competition that can get you into, I'm, I'm pre, pre-saging Oscar watch, uh, yes, to say. Good, that's good. There, there's some energy setup. here. Uh, Jen, how about you? What, what did you hear about Didi or, or if we want to pivot, what other movies have you heard about? So, so what's really, I just want to add about Didi is that that was actually one of the ones in competition and therefore was available online. We just didn't know when we were buying tickets that that was one we should be yeah. trying to watch um and so yeah so it's just funny because it's like we're talking about it like it was only in person because of the buzz that it got but it, we just were we just slept on it we didn't know <laughs> well, yeah <laughs> so what, we, once the in-person screen the first in-person screening happened the buzz immediately was just like this is incredible and i went like i feel like not long afterwards and it was sold out like i think those yeah. whatever tickets were were still there and again there were maybe like a quarter or a fifth of the movies sold out. So, uh, you know, whatever tickets were, were, were still there got snapped up as soon as the buzz hit. I almost got one when I was doing get buying my tickets originally, but I was trying to gauge just how many movies I realistically could watch in like three or four days. And so it would, it almost made the cut. It would have been probably the next one on Mm. my list. And I just cut myself off. I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't buy all of these movies and then only watch like half of them. <laughs> That's not wise um, financially, but also kind of a waste because someone else could have been using that spot, right? Because they do limit the the online screenings. But yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to see to see this one. I do, you know, so coming of age movies are pretty, a, uh, are a staple of Sundance. Like that's sort of what the festival is sort of known for. A stereotypical Sundance movie is usually a coming of age story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I remember hearing a podcaster who was at the festival in person sort of saying that like in the Q&A or in an interview or some something that 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 Sean Wang was doing where he said, you know, Sundance has such a rich tradition of coming of age movies. I really wanted to add to that canon sort of by offering this this uh, Taiwanese American experience and the perspective that he didn't see in the genre. So like so that's cool. Um, I liked I like that idea. Of adding, adding to the genre, adding new perspectives to an old genre. So, well, I guess what is a movie that we couldn't see that had a lot of buzz? I would say the one I heard people talking about and praising the most was I saw the TV Glow, uh, which is an A twenty four film, and I still don't quite co- totally understand what it is. Um, but it's like kids that it's a lot of social media commentary, apparently, right? And then like the kids, the, the TV show becomes real. Or something, I don't know, PT, help me out here. Yeah, I mean, well, again, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia premise. The, the, the I think it was uh, the NPR summary uh, was that basically it's like Buffy fans who become friends and then like something weird happens with the line between reality and, and fantasy of this TV show they love, um, which... Yeah, the Wikipedia summary is two teenagers bond over their love of a television series after it is mysteriously canceled their reality begins to blur. Right. That sounds like it's trying not to spoil the movie. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Um, The commentary, spoiler-free commentary I kept hearing from critics, though, was that 
it had a lot to say about pop culture and fandom and social media and sort of online communities. So that sounded really interesting to me. So I'm definitely going to check that one out when it comes out. Yeah. And the director is uh, Jane Schoenbrunn, uh, who directed, uh, of course, now I can't, here we go. We're all going to the World's Fair. I had one of those Wikipedia pop-up things that wasn't was blocking the one piece of the screen I needed um, for the movie title of we're all going to the world's fair, which was a Sundance movie a couple of years ago that I think was one that it was like, this could be good. And then there either were tickets online or there, I, I was too late. Um, I wake up later than Jen. So Jen's there at like whatever it is, seven or eight in the morning. Uh, and I'm, I'm stumbling in at nine 30. Like what's happening. You got to remember uh, it's mountain time. I know. That's, well, that's the thing that messes everybody up. <laughs> Well, and, and what day it is. And also just like the fact that it's that day. Anyway, um, uh, it, it got some buzz. I think it was a little, there were some people who really didn't like it and some people who really did. Um, but yeah, I don't know. So an interesting filmmaker who's gotten some Sundance attention and buzz before. So yeah, I'm interested in that one too. The, there was a lot of really positive comments about it. Is there another, a couple more, one or two more we want to give a shout out to, and then we should move into our own reviews? I, I think so. I'm I'm just going to uh, throw out there uh, that there's a movie called The Outrun, uh, which stars uh, Saoirse Ronan, and it's uh, supposed to be a very strong acting performance from her. Someone who obviously isn't at the like Amy Adams and at Benning, Glenn Close stage yet, but has had a ton of Oscar nominations and not. Uh, not one yet. So uh, any movie with her, it's sort of like that could be that could be something even foe was getting attention for a little while uh, before people saw it and didn't like it. Um, so the outrun is uh, based on a memoir. It's a woman who is trying to recover from her substance abuse problems, moves to the Orkney Islands in Scotland. And, uh, you know, it's sort of just trying to follow following her life as she tries to heal and recover and uh, people who were saw it kept talking about just like weeping openly and crying a lot and that it was very moving um so that's something to look out for and the other one i will mention on the documentary side uh is a movie called daughters um which not only won the document the u.s documentary competition it also won the festival favorite award uh and uh it's uh yeah a documentary about uh, daughters trying to stay in touch with their fathers who are incarcerated. Uh, and apparently that was the the hit documentary of like, everyone was like, yes, this one uh, is the one to go and see. And as we will talk about a little later on. Yeah, don't spoil Oscars watch. Do, you know, d- documentaries out of Sundance are it's something you got to pay attention to. How sure. about you, Jen? What, what Was there something else you wanted to note? So the one that probably hurt the most that I couldn't see based just on just the pure description and who's involved in it was presence steven soderbergh's newest movie and it's steven soderbergh doing a like a like a haunted house like the the house right you wrote in the notes you wrote pov of the ghost people were very confusing because they were trying not to spoil this movie when they were talking about it and it, and it has lucy Liu in it yes right i'm a big fan of hers i'm a, I'm a big uh proponent of uh, my hot take is that elementary was better than Sherlock, which no one agrees with. Um, but <laughs> that's a deliberately hot take, but I, I, I stand by it. Later seasons of Sherlock in particular. I feel my, like my, my dad Sherlock. agrees with you. Uh, and my okay. mom says it's because he has a crush on Lucy Liu. But he also thinks <laughs> Elementary is a better adaptation of Sherlock. Yeah, that, okay. That, yeah, that, that is what I should specify. It's not just a better – it's not necessarily a better show, 
right? Like I enjoy Sherlock a lot. But if you are being a nerd and pushing up your glasses about adapting the original text, then I do think that Elementary is a better adaptation of, of the character and, and some of the story. So anyway, the <laughs> this is not a Sherlock podcast. We can do that another time. Spinoff. Yes, spinoff. <laughs> but yeah, my my yeah, that's my last shout out because I I'm glad that people liked it. I'm relieved. Because I was like, that sounds so cool. I love Steven Soderbergh. He's always doing interesting stuff. Love Lucy Liu. Like, love love a good... I don't, I'm don't. i not a horror person, but I do love a good ghost story. And so I was like, oh, if this isn't too scary, like, this is something I might really like. And so I'm glad that people were, were, were putting the stamp of approval on it. I also just want to note Steven Soderbergh having a positive reaction to one of his movies at Sundance. Tried and true, like, when Sundance was really finding its feet and started the both the pivot into being the the center of the or the, you know, at the forefront of the 90s indie cinema movement and also starting to get more attention to the movies you know for awards consideration um was uh when sex lies and videotape uh one of steven soderbergh's early if not his first movie um won the aforementioned audience award in 1989 so um it's it's a big part of his career and also a big part of sundance history so nice that he's back with another small movie that we cannot understand from the logline description but i look forward <laughs> what to it seeing, actually is yes. yeah i look forward to seeing what actually uh, happens here yeah th- this one neon picked up so it will eventually it will, you know it'll be in theaters but eventually will be on hulu usually that's where neon stuff ends up so um yeah exciting i'll keep an eye out for that one for sure. Um, all right, let's get into movies we actually saw. I'm getting a little, I'm getting a little prickly, being like all these cool movies we didn't get to see. <laughs> so I want to talk about things we actually did see. Uh, so what we're gonna do is just sort of hop back and forth. We we are gonna start with our favorites loosely and sort of work our way down as we kind of hop back and forth and ping pong our our different picks that we want to talk about. PT, why don't you go first? What's what's your what was your favorite Sundance movie that you saw? My my favorite of the five that I saw, and I'm not alone in this house for having it up at the top, uh, was Thelma, which is um, was a movie directed by Josh Margolin, uh, and it's uh, a movie about a 93, I believe, 92 or 93 year old grandmother who gets uh, caught like in a scam, on a, not a phishing scam, but a you know, a, you got to send us money right away. And so she goes and, and sends money. Uh, and then once she realizes it was a scam and that she's been had, sets off on a quest to get the money back from the people who did it. This movie was wonderful. As someone who, you know, likes uh, nice sort of family interactions. I mean, not, I don't mean nice, meaning like everyone's well happy, written, but well written, well, well, written, well executed, um, uh, and and really sort of getting at some of the nuances and strife within a, a mostly otherwise you know loving and and uh, you know, content family, but the you know the things that can easily sort of rile up um, in that, combined with the tropes you know, playing off of the tropes of action movies, um, I you know we're we're going to do our best obviously not spoil anything. Who knows when these movies will be available? I don't think it's a spoiler to say that. You know, in the in the very early stages of the movie, she is watching um, Mission Impossible Fallout with her grandson, who's trying to explain what you know the Tom Cruise dynamic of he does all these stunts, um, and that is part of her inspiration for just like, well, I can go out and do this. Um, so you know, that's a great marriage to tell a story that's fundamentally about 
aging and growing old and sort of you know, what are the things that you can do anymore and who are the people who are still in your life and uh, you know what how do you respond and react to loss uh, when when you're in a position where you have lost a lot of people around you um, so June Squibb uh, who uh, I, I immediately think of as uh, from the Alexander Payne movie, Nebraska. Uh, but she's been in a bunch of things. Uh, she is the aforementioned uh, titular Thelma. Uh, and uh, her uh, her friend, her, her elderly friend is Richard Roundtree, the late, great Richard Roundtree in, in what I believe is his last performance. Uh, and they're just absolutely incredible together. Um, Parker Posey and Clark Gregg are the, the daughter and son-in-law and um, they're so neurotic it's amazing yes, yes. and uh, malcolm mcdowell of course um i was thinking it's not michael why don't i have michael in my head malcolm mcdowell uh is in the movie as well as a as, as another senior citizen um so yeah it, it's just really great it was really heartwarming and one of those movies where it was like as and I, honestly i'll say this is true for a bunch of the ones that i i saw and liked there were a lot of moments where i was just like this is really fun this is going to fall apart soon though like this is going to you know it's going to make a mistake and going to become either too maudlin or go like too extreme or kind of lose any momentum and it really never did uh so i, I had a great time uh and you know as i said in my letterbox review the uh campaign for awards nominations um, for June Squibb and Richard Roundtree begin here. So, uh, you know, let's get this movie released and let's get them some, uh, at least like an independent spirit award uh, or something, if not all the way to Oscars. So you saw this as well, Jen. What did you think about I did. That? Uh, so <laughs> I also really enjoyed this. Um, I thought it was, it was, it was definitely the, uh, one of the funniest movies or like had the longest stretches of like I'm just cackling at what's happening and it's really it's really nice and maybe the cutest movie I saw and uh, um because it just it has that sort of like big heart to it because you're rooting for a June Squibb the whole time and you're just like is she gonna do it is she gonna do it and like to be clear like some of the highest like points of tension is she's slowly like rolling across a bed like to get up it's like it's amazing like um yeah well one of the things i was afraid of and i i I hope i hope no one thinks this is a spoiler one of the things i was afraid of was it was going to get hyper realistic we were she was going to like somehow turn into john wick or ethan hunt but like it's always a 93 year old woman and what a 93 year old woman can do but presented as yes this like huge action sequence because it would be for someone of that age which is very funny. My only crit, cri- and this is barely a critique, just something I was, I was kind of wondering about as I was watching it, and kind of was secretly wanting from it was to lean more into the having the the sort of cinematic style and the camera work be closer to what an actual action movie would be like. I think that would have been super fun, but then maybe could have taken away from the the sort of like quiet indie film part of this right because at the end of the day this is about a woman reflecting on aging and whether like what it means to be that old and can she still be independent and all those sorts of things and so um you know i i maybe i shouldn't be wishing for that but (laughs) without that was the thing i was like oh wouldn't it be really cool if they had just like really doubled down on shooting shooting this as if like still doing the thing you're saying of presenting her movement and abilities as realistic but just that the camera is sort of like Mm -hmm doing it more because i feel like the way it's shot is still more or less 
still kind of a quiet Sundance indie movie. So that was the only thing that I thought left me left me wanting. But otherwise, like I really loved the dynamic between June Squibb and Richard Roundtree, who I don't remember if you mentioned this earlier, is the original Shaft. Uh, so when I realized that, because I was like, why does he look so familiar? <laughs> Then I looked it up and I was like, whoa, he's Shaft. Uh, no wonder he's so cool. I just thought they were a really great pair. And I think the movie doesn't work if they don't spend the amount of time they do together. You know what I mean? Like, I think that she needed the June Squibb's character, Thelma, needed the uh, his character's name, Richard Roundtree's character. Oh, it's Ben. Like, oh, ben. like many other movies uh, that we watched, it was a, a character named Ben. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Lots of Bens. Uh, yeah. So I think like. You know, he he was a, a really good counterbalance to her character, uh, and I just loved watching the two of them together. Um, so I'm I'm not saying no to the 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 dual Oscars campaign for this film. Though I will say though, it got picked up by Magnolia, and I was sort of doing a little bit more digging on the movies they do, and they don't really have big Oscar plays usually, or like they just don't have big movies in general. Like I think the only Oscar player they've ever had is Shoplifters. Um, which was an international feature nominee. Um, so, I mean, that doesn't mean I'm not counting it out, right? Well, I'm spoiling our Oscars watch conversation, but I'm not counting it out. But I'm just saying, like, we should manage our expectations in terms of what what the release of this movie looks like. <laughs> really yeah, scary. I'm I'm scrolling through the history of Magnolia Pictures releases, and it's um, not a lot of movies I recognize. So, yeah. uh, oh, Man it's- on Man on Wire, that that one. Okay. I, I agree. The one thing I will say in not not even pushback, but just as an alternative is this might be Magnolia Pictures only play. Whereas oh. if Thelma was bought by a searchlight by a neon or a 24 or, you know, Sony classics, like it might end up being the fifth, sixth, seventh priority. That's fair. And then, uh, and then, you know, then where are we like, you know, that that's no good. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, that's, that's mostly hopium. That's mostly me just wanting to believe this little, this little movie will have something, uh, <laughs> we'll, ha- yeah, we'll, we'll kick off in some way, but yeah, I, I, it was charming and it was, it was the movie that from this festival that it was just sort of like, Oh, like I could see a ton of people I know who only watch 10 movies a year choosing to watch this movie and being happy they did, which may not be the case for most Sundance movies. No, no disrespect yeah. to Sundance. Yeah, I think this this is probably the biggest crowd pleaser on our list, yeah. I would say. Agreed. So, yeah, and actually I looked it up and the place Magnolia Films usually end up streaming is Peacock apparently. I hey. I can't like I didn't I didn't find like I couldn't like corroborate that in multiple sources. It was like one or two articles that were like, you know, Magnolia Pictures makes a deal with with Peacock. Um, so I think that's, if we had to guess, that's where it would end up. But, um, cause I know we have folks that like to wait for things to go of on when they, when they watch them. So, uh, all right. That means I'm up for my favorite movie. So my favorite film was actually the first one that I saw. And so I didn't realize it was my favorite at the time. And in retrospect, I'm like, oh, this really suffered this. My, my review of this really did suffer from it being the first movie and me being like, well, I got to wait because I'm sure there's going to be something else that comes along that's better. And there really wasn't for me. So it's a real pain, a real pain, which is, uh, <laughs> are you surprised? It's, like, people like, it's a real pain when you watch a movie first, but yeah, you mean the movie title. Is I mean, the movie title pain. is a real pain. Yes. Well, I mean it, the title of the movie is a play on one of the characters in the movie played by yes. Kieran Culkin. This is Jesse Eisenberg's second directorial outing i guess is the best way to say i don't know I'm like what's the noun there um 
directorship? No, that's not that's not what it is. Uh, like in time uh, the, directing. Okay, let's try this. This is the second film that Jesse Eisenberg has directed. There we go. And uh, his first his first film was I'm gonna forget the title and that word. It's it's not it's like when you're fini- when you're done saving the world or when you're finished saving the world. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, and it was with Julianne Moore and Wolf Finn Hart Finn Finn Wolfhard Finn Wolf- the Stranger yeah. Things kid. Yes, right? it is when you finish saving the world, and it is okay. Finn Wolfhard. Yeah, and it and was. I was- it was at the 2022 Sundance Film Festival, and it was not great, in my opinion. It was not. It was not. It was fine, but it was very kind of like whiny and sort of like self-absorbed in a way that I just wasn't really on. I didn't get on board with it. And so it was really, really nice to be surprised that this film was was very much not that. And it, it seemed like much more kind of self-assured. This feels like a lot more of a personal film, which it is like in the little. So the nice thing about the online screenings is you still get the sort of, you know, it, it's it's being recorded over Zoom, but you still get the sort of director uh, or the creators behind the film introducing it. And then you get to see the Q&A that happened in the in-person screening uh, at the end. And so that was really I thought this one had the best sort of you know, preamble and, and, and Q and a, because it was Jesse Eisenberg talking about, they filmed in Poland in all the places that his actual real life grandmother grew up. And so like the, the film, so I should say what it's about. The film is about these two cousins. It's Jesse Eisenberg and Kieran Culkin. And they're sort of estranged. Like you can tell that they haven't like really kept in touch, but they're, their grandmother in her will left them money to go to Poland where she was a survivor of the Holocaust um, to, to take a trip and see sort of where she was from uh, after she died. So uh, the, the, the movie is sort of like a buddy road trip kind of movie, and, you know, but with like very sad sort of tragic uh, history, world history built into it. And just the, the dynamic between the two of them was was incredibly funny and so it like it feels like a personal story and i feel like you know to not to take it to teacher town but like when i read some student papers like sometimes you can just tell the writing is something that the student actually cares about like you can just tell because it's better it's more interesting they seem more invested in it it's less robotic right and so i felt like that's sort of the difference between jesse eisenberg's first film and this film this film just feels so much more like grounded in real emotions <laughs> as opposed to intellectual ideas, which I think is what, what the, the, uh, when you finish saving the world sort of suffered from a little bit, it had like a concept, like a concept that was very clearly important, but like no heart to it. Um, and so this is the exact opposite. And so I just really enjoyed it. And it was, and it really tied together the sort of like family history pain, right? So it's the title is a play on pain, right? Because Kieran Culkin, who is just like, giving this like transcendent performance like it's just, like really really good my letterbox review said that his performance sort of outgrew the movie a little bit like it feels like he's kind of overshadowing it but that's sort of his character what his character does everywhere he goes to um so maybe that's intentional but it's a play on he's a real pain like he's kind of a difficult person to be around but it's also about sort of this generational pain. And the movie is very good about talking about like, well, how do we as people in 2024 sort of engage with the history of the Holocaust and the pain that other people suffered versus the pain that we suffer and how that's very different. And like, I just, yeah, I liked, I liked how everything kind of tied together. 
And it was also really funny. Yeah, I, I also saw this one and I liked it a lot uh, as well. I think it, it was vying for second place with, with a movie we haven't talked about um, yet. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's really the you know, the 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 showiness or the showy thing is uh, uh, is Kieran Culkin's performance, and that's the dominant thing in this movie, and it's the thing that is going to get the most attention. But Jesse Eisenberg is also just very quietly, you know, beyond writing and directing it, but his performance in it is also yeah, he's good. carrying a lot of loads because, like, he, you know, it needs uh, Kieran needs someone to play off of, and uh, and also, you know, he's he's very much. I feel like he's very much the perspective character. I I think the the only like again, this is similar to sort of your like ah one thing maybe about Thelma is this my one thing maybe mm-hmm. about um a real pain was because I felt like we the, the perspective as I was watching it was so close with Jesse Eisenberg's character. I I very rarely felt charmed by Kieran Culkin's character. It always was like. This guy oh, is it's... on the verge of like, <laughs> you know, of like, you know, he's going to be embarrassing or whatever. And, uh, and, you know, there, like he had the, the, there's some swerves and, and, you know, kind of different, uh, it's, it's all, he's always at an 11, but where that 11 is kind of directed changes, uh, for, for Kieran Culkin. And I, I, it, it's, it's definitely like discussed in the movie that like, mm-hmm. oh, like, people always find him charming. And like, that's sort of understandable, but I wasn't ever actually charmed because I always was like, this guy's a threat to like, make. Oh, you know, certainly certainly to make our, our perspective character uncomfortable and also to, you know, maybe just, you know, get, you know, sort of spin out in some other direction. Yeah. Um, that's not really a problem, but I do think that like, if I'd had a chance to be like, yeah, I love this guy, like this guy's great. And then start to have it get like yeah you know get more revealed to be like oh okay maybe like i would have felt even more connected to what was going on but also maybe that is you know too obvious that feels like of course of course this guy that everyone loves and everyone gets along with you know he actually is he has pain like like every other human so uh so yeah but that was the only sort of thing i, I, I agree with everything that you say it's it's very uh bunny it is also remarkably moving at times when it's when it's looking to tap into emotions i think it does a very good job of that and the it's not a large cast of supporting characters but the supporting people who are around yeah. the, the most famous of, of of whom is jennifer gray um is uh, they're all great and they all do a really good job of uh, uh you know being three-dimensional characters in small chunks I feel like her character, now that you mentioned her, was my way into his charm because she's the one who's the most charmed by him in their group, in their tour group. So um, so that was the other that's the other part of the film. It's not just a buddy. They're traveling through Poland, but they're specifically signed up to go on this tour with a bunch of other people they've never met who all have sort of like family history or kind of cultural or emotional reasons why they want to go on this tour and kind of like confront the pain of, of, of what happened to sort of their, their ancestors. Right. And, and I feel like shout out to the actor who plays the tour guide. I don't remember his name. I didn't, I forgot to look it up, but he's really good. And I just like his character a lot because I mean, maybe we're bi- I'm biased because we're academics. And so like, that would probably be us. If we were in this movie, we'd be the ones being like, mm, and just so you know, this monument was built in blah, 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 right. Um, and so I identified with his character a lot. Um, 
But I think he was a really good way to to kind of engage with the broader themes of the film because he's the one who's like trying to curate this experience for them. Um, and it brings up a lot of interesting stuff in terms of like, how do you organize a tour, like something, a leisurely activity in theory, a vacation activity that is about something so awful and so painful, right? Um, so you're looking up his name now. I, I can see you. Well, I am. And, and his name is Will Sharp. And what I'm really trying to do is figure out who exactly he played in the second season of The White Lotus. Uh, and the problem is the character description is like, he's related, he's connected to these three other characters. And I'm like, well, who are those characters? Um, so I believe he was Aubrey, the, the Aubrey Plaza's husband. Oh. Uh, in uh, the second season of The White Lotus. Okay, which I haven't um, seen. But... Which... I don't know if that's oh yeah. For a second I thought you were saying he's he was her husband in real life. I'm like, good for him. Uh that would be <laughs> that would be great. Yes. No, but he's uh he is the one who's married to uh to Aubrey Plaza, uh, which is so interesting because that's such a different vibe than the, his character mm. James, the tour guide in this movie, okay. uh, who is very bookish and nerdy, whereas that guy obviously tech nerdy, but you know, was in vacation mode. Um so uh anyway, that's where uh you may have recognized him from and his name uh again is will will sharp right thank you uh the only thing that actually bothered me about this when i watched it and then later i was like i shouldn't have made a big such a big deal out of that i think it was just because i i it was the first movie i watched and i was just not used to watching sundance movies because i hadn't seen one since the year before but the score in this is just very like here's some classical piano and Mm -hmm. you know that's like what most indie movies do (laughs) So I can't really like hold that against this movie, but I was just kind of like, oh, come on. Like, this is not the time for like, like idyllic piano playing. Like, let's, let's, let's find something else to play. I don't know why that bothers me so much. In retrospect, it shouldn't have bothered me, but um, it's maybe because it was the first, the first movie I saw, I was like, I got to think of something critical. Um, <laughs> right. We had to downshift from, you know, big Hollywood. Uh... Right. Or or whatever classic cinema. Well, because like the the thing Jesse Eisenberg talked about in the Q and A was that they ha- they he really wanted to shoot all the stuff on location, but they had like no budget, right? Because it's an indie movie, mm-hmm. and so the, the, he said they just had to get really creative with like, and he really praised their like production designer because apparently she would like go to places like a restaurant that had looked pretty modern and then just totally redressed it so it looked kind of like old world, like they were going to like a like a touristy <laughs> place. And so right. it was just really amazing. Um, the other fun thing about the Q and a is like the, ba- there's really good banter between Kieran Culkin and Jesse Eisenberg. It seemed like they really bonded and that comes through in the performances. I think that they, ha- they kind of like got along really well because I think somebody in the audience asked uh, Kieran Culkin, what was it like being directed by a fellow actor? Which to be honest, like people have to stop asking that question. Like Bradley Cooper. I've, I've, I've had to listen to Bradley Cooper answer that question. <laughs> over and over again it's not a good question don't ask it. um but 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 uh kieran culkin's answer was hilarious because he was like yeah it was really weird and kind of like you know he would we'd be playing a scene together and he'd stop and then kind of step out of his role and be like so i have some notes for you and he'd be like i have notes for you <laughs> insert expletive uh and he's just really funny about it um where he's just like really giving it was clear that they had like a faux antagonistic relationship on set like <laughs> Which I wish I'm like, can we can we get footage of that and make that into like a side documentary? I really want to see that. Yeah, the 20 minute blooper reel from this movie yes. would be incredible. Yes. Um, all right. Nice. I think we spent enough time talking about that movie. I think I know what your next one's going to be. 
I think you do too, but I know we did spend enough time on it. I do just want to note, this is one of the few movies that came to Sundance without distribution and then got acquired by Searchlight. Uh, so this was uh, this being um, a real pain was one of the the winners. It, there was the you know the, the, the got ten million dollars uh, in, oh, wow. in an auction. I don't think I'd seen that for, story. Uh, I didn't see that number. Yeah, for Searchlight to to get that. Good for um, Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, I mean, not and that again, he really I, needed a ten million dollars. Well, look, <laughs> never mind. Uh, yes, <laughs> uh, I mean, but they yeah, they got to pay all those people that they all the credit yes, cards. Yeah, that yeah, they, I, I was they just kidding. Up. Um, yeah, my, uh, okay, my one, which this is the one that was vying with a real pain for that, that second place slot, uh, is Between the Temples, which is uh, a movie directed by Nathan Silver. Uh, I'm saying that as if I you're, you're right. Nathan That's right. Silver is. Well, no, but I was saying it as if it's like you all know. Oh, what do we know Nathan him from? Silver. Um, and, uh, he's worked on a bunch of other things that I, I also don't really know. Something called The Great Pretender. Uh, anyway, um, what uh, th- this was a very fun movie. It starred um, Jason Schwartzman as a, a cantor at a at a Jewish temple who is uh, there's a lot of a lot of dealing with loss and and death. Um, as w- was in it's still in mourning. Sort of, it's been about I think it was said it was about a year after his wife had died in an accident, uh, and he. Is, finds himself like not really capable of singing during temple services, yeah. uh, which is a problem for. He's got uh, for the cantor. cantor equivalent of the yips. He's got the yips. Yeah, yeah. He's a, it's like he's like a Jewish Chuck Knobloch. Um, that was a great baseball <laughs> joke. Um, if a great baseball joke from nineteen like ninety nine. But uh, anyway, uh, so he uh, he also runs the uh, bar and bat mitzvah. Sunday, well, not sorry, Sunday services, uh, you know, classes, probably not uh, necessarily on Sunday. Um, and his uh, his former music teacher, Carol Kane, who is also coming off of the loss of a spouse, uh, decides that uh, she never got a, a bat mitzvah because her parents, while Jewish, uh, were not religious. So she wants to go through bat mitzvah school. So she starts doing that. It, you know, it's it's a... a your cultural comedy, uh, an interpersonal family relationships, uh, comedy, uh, and you know it, it's not very deep. I don't, you know, it's not super serious. Uh, it's not tackling like huge world issues, but uh, I mean, you get to hang out with Jason Schwartzman and Carol Kane, uh, and they're just really great. Uh, their their facial expressions and just some of their their glances and and just small movements. Uh, are are really incredible. Um, Dolly De Leon from Triangle of Sadness is uh, one of Jason Schwartzman's moms, along with Caroline Aaron, who has been in a ton of stuff. Um, was in the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Has yeah, just been she's been in a million things. Uh, you know, you'll it, it, it's, you'll see her. You're like that. It's that woman. Got it. Um, and Robert Smigel, uh, famed TV writer. Uh, from uh, the uh, Triumph the Insult comic dog from Conan, uh, co-creator of the Dana Carvey show, uh, and a bunch of other things. TV fun. And House more recently, Leo, Life. the Netflix movie with Adam Sandler as an iguana. Oh, sure. Right? That's him. I feel like that's what Greg said. Wrote that I, movie. I will. I will defer once again. I will defer random animated movie uh, <laughs> knowledge to uh, to to you to you and Greg. But uh, I, I believe that yes, Leo. He uh, co-wrote 
two Hotel Transylvania films. You don't mess with the Zohan and Leo um, with, with his Adam Sandler connection. Um, but anyway, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's very funny. I am not Jewish. Um, uh, so I, I am, I am sure I, I didn't like get all of the, uh, all the references, but I, you know, picked up on a bunch and I thought they were very funny. Um, I, you know, didn't quite like every choice that was made, um, which is why as time went on, I immediately was like, this movie came in second. And then as time went on, I was like, Oh, those things I didn't like, maybe, I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, when, if, and when this comes out, uh, I'm sure it will. This is uh, very much worth people's time. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a funny, a funny movie, a funny and touching movie. Jen, you also saw this. What, what I did, did also what did see think? this. I know you I, had a big complaint. I had, yeah, I did. And it was, I wish I didn't, uh, because <laughs> I feel like, I feel like if this thing, the thing I complained about was not true, then I would have had a very different opinion about that movie. But for me, the way that it was shot. And maybe that was exacerbated by like the internet lagging occasionally when I was watching <laughs> the screening. Um, and so it kind of made it even worse, but the way that this is shot is there's a lot of movement it's kind of like a handheldy type thing, but there's like also just crazy amounts of close-ups and lots of cuts. And so I w- I just found that really distracting visually. And I had a hard time just like engaging in what was going on because I kept being like, oh my gosh, like what is happening with the camera? Um, and, you know, I think the, 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 the festival programmer who had introduced the film was like, this film is perfect. I love it. Uh, and specifically said it has such a fresh, aesthetic or he used some phrasing where i was like i didn't think of anything about it at first but then when after i watched the movie i was like oh that's what that meant (laughs) the camera didn't stop moving in a way that was very distracting that's what they should have said no i'm just kidding (laughs) um uh but i think at the end of the day that that the performances and the writing of the two main characters jason uh, played by jason schwartzman and carol kane was so strong and so compelling and their oddball dynamic and how they kind of like interacted with each other and how they both had their own sort of like family baggage and sort of emotional baggage. And uh, they would go from being like really mopey to really manic <laughs> together right? in sync kind of, you know what I mean? Um, I thought it was really, really enjoyable. And I thought this had a lot to say about sort of people who feel like they're lost uh and what what they do and how they deal with that and how and specifically how their families don't understand them um like i thought there's one scene that's sort of like a climactic chaotic scene family drama type scene that i feel like was really really good Mm -hmm. uh and i think matt negley and his review was saying that alone is the worth of worth the price of admission and i would agree with that i think um uh how everything kind of comes to a head though i think i know what you're alluding to and because we don't want to spoil it i will also be kind of cagey but there is sort of a plot twist or like a turn of events in the movie at towards the end of the movie that i also was like oh i wish they hadn't done that but also is so ultimately unimportant to like what yeah, happens and the rest of it that it's like why bother like anyway it's tough well jen and i will talk off mic about what we think about the but, spoilers yeah, yeah. um but yeah, so I feel like I think the way you phrase it of like there are a couple of choices that I sort of was like, eh. um, but overall, I like what the movie was trying to do. I was really on board with. 
Yeah, it, it's so interesting. I, I did sort of wink because we were texting about it and you said like the shaky camera's killing me. And I was like, it did, I didn't really notice it. Like, except that it felt like kind of a real kind of 90s low budget mm. indie movie, which I guess is how I associate that when it's not a, you know, Jason Bourne action sequence kind <laughs> right. of uh, shaky cam thing. So yeah, it, it, that's one of those things where, if I if I pick up on it, then like like I think you were feeling, you're just like I can't like. Can we stop? Can we just buy a tripod? Like what's happening? <laughs> um, but like it that didn't it never hit me with this with this movie. But um, you know that's uh, uh, that's so yeah. I don't know D- different different takes. I guess this one does not have a distributor yet. Um, that uh it's it's still 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 for sale so if you are a major motion picture uh distribution studio or independently wealthy person who is listening to who is somehow listening to this podcast and they're just like well what what you know what what already for completed product um uh, and i do remember the other other thing i was going to say is how it just is interesting that you know both thelma and this movie are sort of ostensibly about other things and they they sort of you know, tap into some different genres uh, but they are both about sort of, you know, what, wh- how do you handle loss? And one of them is a little bit more, I mean, middle age, Jason Schwartzman's middle age. And then, you know, Carol Kane is, is older. She's Carol Kane age, but doesn't, doesn't quite feel like she's in like retire, you know, should this person be in a retirement home uh, uh, level of the characters in Thelma? So, you know, it's, it's maybe like, late middle age, early senior yeah. from Carol Kane. And then, and then, you know, so it's, it was interesting to see the overlap, which maybe is just the Sundance of it all. Just as there are coming of age movies, there's uh, now more and more coming of death age and just sort of being like, well, how do you deal with that? And how do you, how do you just struggle with loss in the, as the sort of mirror of how do you struggle with actually right. becoming an adult and, and realizing all that's out there and what you want in the world. That's a really good connection. I hadn't really thought about that, but it's also loss that precipitates newfound freedom in a really weird, mm. bittersweet way, right? Um, which, which I think is in both of those films, Thelma and Between the Temples, pretty well handled. Like, I really liked that part of it. Of like, well, I've I lived this way for this long, and now I don't have to. So, can I start again? Kind of is the key question I think for those characters. Um, which is good. I think Agreed, it's Yeah. It's, I, it's yeah. interesting because I feel like it's the the Vanity Fair sort of write up was done by Richard Lawson the 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 on the on the website I assume in the print version as well or maybe it's website only. Um and he was talking about how this was sort of a disappointing Sundance, mm-hmm. it was a little bit of a letdown and I think it's because some of those movies that had hype coming in, you know, fell apart. But you know, maybe it's the luck of the draw of the ones that uh, you know we chose, and by we chose, I mean Jen gave me a list of movies she thought were supposed to be good that were available, and I was like, okay, uh, All right, and then that, I went and bought them. Um, that's why we saw so many of the same ones. I'm now yes, realizing I just bought, bought it off of your. I cribbed your list. I'm actually confused how you ended up seeing these two other movies, but that's <laughs> we'll get to it. Um, but uh, but yeah, that it's uh, you know it, this feels like it feels like the bad version of this movie or the weaker version. Um, that doesn't handle the, those that sort of loss and and the the gain that comes from loss, but then the the sorrow and the ache. Like in in the last few years, when we have watched the sort of online only movies, it's been much more likely to get a movie that's like, oh, this is an interesting idea. It's just not very good. This right. isn't done very well. And I don't think 
at least I didn't get a lot of those. We'll get to the ones that maybe I thought were like that. Um, but you know, these were three strong movies that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very excited. I saw and would easily recommend to anyone when they eventually do come out. I think uh, Matt Neglia to echo your Richard Lawson was sort of like let down by the festival overall. I heard that in many places and most recently Matt Neglia on next best picture was like, I didn't. And I think this is the answer is he said, I didn't have a past lives from this year. And I think that's the problem is that past lives was such like a skyrocketing hit coming out of the festival that now people have been spoiled where they're like, Oh, but I didn't have a mind blowing of all time, all timer movie that I saw. So like, therefore it's not as good this year, <laughs> which I don't think is true. I think Fair, it's just- I, yeah, I also think that like, like we have discussed, like, like Greg has been worried about, you know, check the transcript. I forget what old episode. I think it was the air episode. There was so there was an old episode of 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 uh, the long take review that I was listening to, and Greg was like, "What's going to happen if there's a strike? Are we going to have any movies?" Um, so he's been very on top of this. I think there were some people who, after we had you had past lives at Sundance, and after a very strong movie year overall in uh, in 2023, there's some concerns of the gap of when, mm. when things won't come out. And there was some hope that, oh, maybe there'll be a, like a handful of really excellent Sundance movies they can that carry we are us through. expecting that will, you know, fill those gaps. They're done. They're ready to sort of fill in. And it sounds like the critics are not thinking that that's what happened. So maybe it's also that there was, there were some higher expectations uh, or higher hopes for uh, what the Sundance uh, festival could provide yeah. movie going, the movie going community. Right. All right. So your next movie, Jen, what okay. do you got? <clears throat> so my next pick is actually a documentary. And it's one of the ones that, you know, because it's doc- it's the two docs I, that you didn't see. So you haven't uh-huh. seen this one. But it's Skywalkers, which is not about Star Wars. Sorry, everybody. I know we have a lot of Star Wars fans who potentially <laughs> listen to this podcast. Uh, don't be misled by the title. Uh, Skywalkers, a love story, uh, which actually I think like a day or two, it was like very fast, I think is the new story. It got bought by Netflix. Um and for those of you who who aren't keeping up with like news behind Sundance, typically every year the the big kind of like exciting mystery is going to be like, is there going to be a bidding war over certain films? Like, are are the big studios going to throw down money to try to get get these movies? I don't know how much Netflix um, paid for Skywalker's, but they usually shell out a lot of money, so <laughs> they're they're probably pretty happy about this overall. Um, but Skywalker's refers to rooftoppers who are people who often illegally uh, climb super tall buildings. Uh, they sneak into buildings and then climb to the top uh, without any sort of like harnesses or safety nets or anything like that. Like they just, they just do it. Um, and so this is sort of like, it's a sport kind of like, 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 like an uh, underground sport maybe is the best way to describe it. Um, but the, this, this, this specific, documentary follows two uh rooftoppers who meet and fall in love because they start out as rivals because they're both kind of like on social media sort of competing with each other they're like the two top rooftoppers on social media have the most followers and stuff like that and then they they decide to kind of collaborate and that leads to them getting together in a relationship and and then like the movie sort of follows the ups and downs of that relationship um and and sort of like what happens post COVID because then they can't really travel and like um, 
you know, and and then they do like one last big uh, climb, uh, and it's like, will they? Won't they? Like, can they do it? And so it's you know, it's really, it's one of those movies where you can't just think, you can't think too hard about the people in it because they are like kind of very. How do I say this by being nice? Um, they're social media influencers, so they have the sort of vanity that you would that stereotypically we associate with people who do that. Um, I mean, I didn't really. It's one of those things where, like, when I was watching the movie, I was so enthralled with what was going on and like the fact that they're crazy enough to do this um, that I didn't really stop to think about. Oh wait, like they're trying to take pictures, like po- really posed, superposed pictures of them dressed up nicely at the top of a crazy tall building just to get social media follows and sponsors and stuff like that. Um, so I, you know, an alternate version of this movie that really leans into the, the social, crit- like the social commentary and the social critique of social media and its role in our society and stuff like that. And capitalism like would be really interesting. And I would want to see that this version of the movie is kind of the tradi- Like it's, it's a, re- there's a reason the, the, after the colon, it says a love story. It's because it's very much like, you know, very sort of obvious and heavy handed, like climbing to the top of a building with no safety net is a metaphor for trusting someone else in a relationship and like learning how to trust is and that's like very much like the text of the movie. But I'm going to be honest, it totally worked on me. It really did <laughs> like, because it's also a heist movie because it also kind of shows them trying to plan how to sneak into the building and get past security and like you know, they like disguise themselves as construction workers. And it's just like really fun from a like, can they do it sort of perspective. I would not recommend seeing this movie if you are afraid of heights. Um, Like, especially, I guess, don't see it in a theater if you're afraid of heights. Because <laughs> I can imagine on a big screen, it would be terrifying. <laughs> because part of the cool thing about the movie is that they use all these like drones and stuff to actually get shots of them way up, way up. Like, this is like... Uh, What's the really tall building in Mission Impossible? Uh, oh, the Burj Khalifa. Yes, it's like that, but they don't yeah, have any. Yeah. They don't have any like ropes or anything. Right. There's no like CGI'd out safety equipment. Right. And they don't that, have Tom Cruise. Like they, right. <laughs> you know. Right. It isn't a fictional story where you're like, well, I know what happens. Is that like he's going to be fine because this is a movie? We don't. I don't know who these people are. Theoretically, they they could fall. I am afraid of heights, but I gen I don't get like we, you know generally don't get weirded out. If I'm watching a movie, even on like a big, like I watch okay. Birch, the so Birch unless it's a real height. for me, yeah. because my fear of heights is I'm worried I'm going to fall and I know I'm watching a movie. So it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not going to fall. They may fall, but oh, well, like they're idiots. No, I don't know. Uh, that's, that's mean. Um, but yeah, no, that's interesting. Uh, I, I will admit to being uh, immediately disappointed um, when I was looking at the listing of things. I did assume this was some Skywalker's sort of documentary Star Wars tie-in. about Star Wars fandom. Uh, or or whatever, and then I was like, it's not. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, but it sounds really fun. It it sounds like, and and it, it makes sense. These are these are the movies linked on the Wikipedia page, which is barely more than a stub right now. Um, but uh, that it, it, it's a little bit of free solo and a little bit of Man on Wire of you know, which mm. if you're a documentary looking to win best uh, best documentary feature at the Academy Awards, not to not a bad combination to have of two previous winners, but that like 
heist movie. Let's break in somewhere and and try to make this happen right. with the love story of people risking themselves at cr- on crazy climbs. Um, yeah, it sounds like it can be really effective. I I, I, I honestly I wonder, and it, I would be curious if this came up at all in the um, you know Q and A or introduction. My immediate thought is yes, I'd also like the what are we doing when influencers are going to climb buildings to get like, it, it's annoying enough when they're trying to get a perfect picture on a beach, but like now they're doing it on like, you know, right. the, the top of world trade one or whatever. Um, but like, I guess like, was that going to be so obvious? I wonder if, if the filmmakers thought about doing that and then decided that's actually obvious. What if we just I, told this as a adventure? I don't story? think that was ever on the table because, okay. um, the in the Q and A, the director who I believe is Jeff Zimbalist, I think is his name, said that he was an am like when he was younger, he was an amateur rooftopper. I see, and so like he's 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 all in. You know what I mean? He's, he's like, in. this is a, this is a craft. This is an art. And they do in the movie try to make this loose argument for the photos they're taking being a like modern art. So that's kind of interesting okay. from a like exit the gift shop sort of perspective of like is this art um <laughs> uh but they also are are using turning their photos into nfts and so like then we're like oh we're back to uh their crypto bros um so i i don't know yeah it's it's oh you just can't think about that too much just enjoy enjoy the ride it's very much like a crowd-pleasing documentary in some ways a bad match for netflix because it it really should be like on an imax screen you know what i mean right which i don't know if it will because of netflix but at the same time it is really a good pairing for netflix because it's such so crowd please it's like you know it's easy it's a really easy watch it's um, gonna be in the top 10 for like two yeah. months right uh the good news because netflix owns the egyptian now jen you, you if you were able to come up to la i'm sure it will play at the Egyptian theater, which is not an IMAX screen, but it's a very big screen. Right. Um, 90 foot, I think, <laughs> screen. So uh, Yeah, I'm sure it'll look amazing because just the shots they get from on top of the buildings are gorgeous. Like it's it's just from a purely technical filmmaking perspective, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, you can look up one of the two main characters. Her name's um, Angela Nicolau, I think. she's She has her social media. If you look her up on Instagram, you can see all her pictures. Uh She's trying to make, you know, modern art and sell NFTs. And that's the whole thing. But yeah, and, and it's it's cool for it is very much like free solo of like a dissection and character study of like who would be crazy enough to do this kind of thing. Like so it does it does do that to check that box of mm-hmm. like what what does someone have to be like to want to do this all the time? That's interesting. Um, and to be constantly chasing like the next tallest building that they can they can climb. <laughs> I, I um, like that. I, I feel like that's a good transition to the last movie that you, you and I both watched, which is my. I mean, it's all in right. fourth also place. very much about social media. Yes, which also has uh, a, a strong sort of social media uh, and and influencer core um, commentary component at the uh, at the center of it, um, which is going to sound strange when I begin describing what this movie is like. Uh, and the movie is called Love Me, uh, and. It's that it's that it's that old tale, that tired old tale of a uh, smart wa- a buoy, uh, like a in in a water uh, that falls <laughs> in love with a satellite that is the last remnant of human civilization uh, flying above Earth, um, and how that love story plays out, um, which. Yeah, you know, the movie is as odd as that sounds. Like, I mean, it, it's like 
uh, I feel like the capsule review is like, this shouldn't, it's such an interesting idea. There's so many ways that it can go wrong. I don't know if it always goes right, but it never goes so wrong that I was like, this is a disaster and it's falling apart. Right. It had you Um, on the hook still the whole time. Yeah. I was, and I was always like, yeah, like again, you know, I don't, I don't mean, I think about this for a lot of movies and stories. This is not, I don't mean to pick on Sundance for it, but when you're watching sort of barely or unvetted uh, movies, like you haven't heard anyone talk about it because maybe no one's seen it. Um, it's just really easy to think like, is this all going to fall apart? Even if I'm liking this now. Um, and I think it never fell apart. Uh, you know, there were, it, it teetered, but it never fully fell apart. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, about these two, uh, uh, you know, non-human entities, uh, uh, that, uh, begin, you know, establish a, a connection and then, uh, begin i'm trying to think of a good way of describing this i don't think it necessarily is giving anything away but because the satellite is in space after it was put in sent into space as the earth was sort of collapsing and humanity's civilization was falling apart a bunch of information was put into it and it was a sort of like this for anyone who finds this this is it's like the the time time capsule capsule. right this is the time capsule of humanity and so it's basically the, the internet Yes, it's or at least the yeah, it's set up as what do you want to search for with that sort of you know, with the similar sort of results page. And when the smart buoy that uh, can activate that, like starts going through the search engine and like, just sucks in a whole bunch of data. Um, it is like, well, like to become more of an individual, it ter- it becomes an influencer played by Kristen Stewart. Or taps into this influencer and is like, that's the like person I'm going to try to communicate as and and present myself with. And then tries to make the satellite's consciousness turn into that influencer's boyfriend, played by Steven Yun. Uh, and it's, you know, you're seeing clips of these influencers. You're seeing sort of how these robots are interacting. They begin to create, a, you know, a sort of a CGI uh, environment in which you know they can interact with each other, a sort of like metaverse um, between the two of them, which which grows, you know, whatever, which which evolves and changes over time. Um, and yeah, it's this wild kind of sci-fi story. It, it it is a love story. The biggest critique I was seeing from people, uh, uh, you know, in the letterbox and stuff, was they were like, "Well, I don't know why a computer would choose an influencer. Like the the, the premise is inherently dumb." When it was like, but that seems to be the whole, like one of the points of the movie is that like when humanity is gone, what's left behind are the records of what people were doing. And this is what people are doing. It seemed like that was an intentional critique. Um, but I think a lot of people really bumped in, in a similar way that you're talking about Skywalkers that folks might not be able to enjoy this because it's not a critique of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's people who really like bristled at this movie because of the influencer dynamic and and uh you know aesthetic that was um being used a lot but you know the the two actors uh in the different ways in which they were performing were doing an incredible job voice acting uh and and the scenes of them you know human acting uh the 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 tech is not mind-blowing or anything but always worked always was sort of like yes this is telling um telling the story and yeah it was uh, a really unique approach to you know, uh, to telling a story. This is a, you know, not a story you see all the time. Um, so I'm really glad to have checked it out. Um, didn't like, you know, again, I don't think it came together and was as impactful as these, the other movies um, that we've already talked about, 
but um, yeah, I think that if this is this is one to pay attention to. I feel like the big critique that I heard from a lot of people, which actually this is the one thing that didn't bother me as much. I'll get into what did bother me in a minute. Don't worry. Um, but the is that the so part of the sort of like high conceptness of this is that the actual like cinematic medium evolves over the course of the movie. I don't want to spoil it, but like it goes through different phases of like there's 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 some very crude CGI and then but it's supposed to be like as the characters evolve and kind of learn it's like machine learning the visuals of the film get more advanced and like and realistic looking right so a lot of people had a problem with that because they were like I didn't really want to watch an hour of like Stephen Young and Kristen Stewart as as me's the we like from the we like that's I can't remember who made that comparison, but I was like, oh, yeah, that is sort of what that looked like for a while. Um, so a lot of people bumped up against that. I understood that as part of like like the the medium was part of the message. And so I was I was fine with that, actually. Um, for me, it was more how it was engaging with the like how much of a critique it was. So because on the one hand, as you're talking, I'm like, well, it's not like there's no critique because the critique is sort of built into their relationship, right? How the dysfun- the dysfunctional nature of the relationship, you can sort of trace back to it being founded on sort of the phoniness of social media, right? But then I was like, but is that all this movie has to say? Um, right. So my thing was like, how sophisticated is the concept? Or is it is it high concept in premise, but not actually in theme? And then I'm like, oh, then it's not doing quite what I wanted to do. So, But I couldn't tell. It was too ambiguous. I was like, is this the most sophisticated movie I've ever seen? Or is this basically like a first year writing student's essay on social media where like they state the obvious? You know what I mean? Like that was my letterbox. If you go, if you looked at my letterbox review, that's essentially what it says. It's like, I, I don't know. I don't know which this is. Um, and I would like to know. <laughs> like I did uh, feel like, and and I, I hate to say this, I did feel like listening to the Q&A uh, of the 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 team, I I think they they have the same last name. I, I assume they're married or they're siblings. Um, uh, who who wrote and directed this? Kind they they kind of felt like they only had kind of superficial takes. They were like, we just wondered what would it be like if, and it was this kind of very mm. very sort of surface level. Um, which I I agree. That's part of why I'm like, oh, I like I you know I I don't know what it is I want from that. Like I, I don't know if I would have wanted like this to become some sort of scathing critique of, and this is all humanity became like, I I don't, I don't know if I needed that, but I did feel like I needed a little bit more about Mm. like, if nothing else, then why would, why do these machines want to strive to be human? Um, Or, or why do, why do these machines, you know, begin to want to have a connection? And, and what does that mean? Like, I think that's more interesting to me than uh, necessarily, any going any deeper on the influencer thing, social media thing, only because I just, yeah, I, I'm even if someone was very, very smart about that, I don't know how far they could go. Right. Um, and, and it, it was like, well, they don't have anything else to say about it really. And so, yeah, I, I do think that like, there's a cap on, 
on this movie in terms of, you know, again, maybe there's some people out there who were just like, I was wowed, I was moved. And, and I do feel like it was saying some really important fundamental things about existing and consciousness and sentience and all of that. Um, but yeah, for me, it was like, yeah, this, this was, this was really great. And I'm glad I watched it. I shouldn't say really great. This was very good. And I'm glad I watched it. It didn't get to great or excellent because yeah. it it didn't seem to really have that curiosity. It was more of what if we had this wild premise and then, you know, use that, like use sort of some of these things that would, would be weird if suddenly these people really cared about X, Y, and Z of, you know, uh, uh, pop culture ephemera from the last 20 or 30 years of America. Um, you know, wouldn't it be funny if like that came in and there's not really much thought beyond that. Uh, and then let these two actors who are, you know, wonderful screen presences and just, you know, wonderful, uh, uh, performers, let them kind of carry the day and they do, but you know, yeah, there's, there's definitely only so much there. Yeah. They are, they are achieving a pretty high degree of difficulty because they have to both adopt this sort of influencer social media persona, but then switch to being like AI Right. Like, how would a humanoid AI respond to this situation? Because <laughs> they sort of break the not break the fourth wall, but they sort of break the illusion and talk to each other. Right. And then they go back and like and and maybe that's spoiling too much. But like, um, I feel like there's a lot of s- sort of switching, like mm-hmm. reg- a lot of reg- different registers as actors that they have to be in in this film that maybe you don't notice the first time you watch it. Probably. I feel like if I went back, I would probably appreciate it even more. Um, for in terms of the the themes, the thing that I saw had potential. So again, like if this is a student paper, the thing I'm circling being like, you need to go back and develop this idea more was I was like, oh, are they trying to parallel sort of the facade that people put on on social media? How different is that really from when we engage in a relationship with another person in general, like regardless of the circumstances and like mm. is there inherent in creating like forming a relationship with another human is there an inherent sort of shield or veneer that we put on that keeps them out from the real you because i feel like um and this is in the the like description of the of the movie so it's not a spoiler but the buoy's name is me and the the satellite's name is i am and so like you know it's there it's there <laughs> that they're like who are we as people like me like there's some there's that's why i was like oh how much of this is about selfhood like as a as a theoretical concept and i don't think it really is so um yeah and the movie's called love me you know so it feels like it should be about identity and about love and like kind of but you know what if you just want to watch a movie that's got like uh, you know, uh, uh, Nintendo Mies in it and uh, a, a smart buoy and a satellite and these these two actors like you don't maybe don't think that hard about it and no. and just, you know, that's fine. Um, you'll probably <laughs> do OK. But yeah, uh, I think, you know, as as sci fi fans, we kind of want there we want there to be more and there isn't really more. I, I'm going to as a, as a brief tangent, uh, I, I just want to give a, a shout out to. Uh, there's a thing that exists online um, called uh, uh, 17776Football, and it is uh, written by uh, or or, executed, designed by John Boyce, uh, B-O-I-S, who is 
I mean, sort of a sports reporter. He's done a lot of long-form documentaries about sports teams that are very sort of multimodal and using a lot of ways of sort of going through the the stories and narratives when we talk about constructing narratives here. Um, those are those are good. I, I saw multiple movie critics put his Minnesota Vikings documentary from last year on their best of, even though it's just like a YouTube video he put out. Um, <laughs> and so this was on uh, the Sports Nation website, and it's this sort of interactive fiction that is... Uh, you know, I again, some I'm somewhat giving it away that it's revealed in part one. It's it's satellites communicating to each other, and like one of them is just like designed to run fantasy football uh, things, being like, <laughs> "Do you know about Frank Gifford in the 1967 season?" And it's like these things in the distant future trying to communicate with each other, and like things are happening on calendars, and there's YouTube videos in the middle that you have to watch, and instruction manuals. It's this great, like, weird uh, thing that I kept thinking about with this movie. It's like. Okay. Uh, um, but I don't know if it's more successful and maybe you have to know a little bit about sports to to enjoy it as much, but very good. It's just out there and it, it's, it's recommended. Nice. Uh, so Love Me does not actually have any distribution yet. And I was having a hard time guessing where this would end up. You know what I mean? Like where, which streaming services does this end up? Is this, this feels kind of like an Amazon Prime potentially? Maybe? Oh, no, no. I don't know. Uh, maybe... I mean, yeah, I, I feel bad saying this, but I feel like, yeah, if it were like 10% smarter, I could see Apple going for it because mm. they do do like, you know, they've oh, got true. Foundation they do a lot of future, and Silo, stuff, yeah. but like, I don't know if this fully, you know, again, yeah. like, is this something that they think is going to, is going to land? They also don't do that many movies. Um, so, you know, I, I could see it being a Netflix dump. I could see it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's so strange. Like, it's just because it, it's sort of a romance, but it's this weird sci-fi like concept that you need to, you you know, you got to be interested by the concept for the beginning of the movie to get any hook in you, because um, it's a long time before you get to beginning to grasp mm -hmm. the the famous people who are in it. So I feel like in an algorithm, like watch five minutes and stop. Age, like it's not as going to be widely popular, and I think even the streamers that get a lot of content know that. So yeah, I don't know. You know where I, I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess it's, it goes to Showtime and Paramount plus I'm putting it in an after Yang category. Um, with, of that's like, actually, I was going to uh, be so, like, where did after Yang go? Cause that seems like the closest comp. It was a Showtime, though. which is now, you know, just mm. under the Paramount plus umbrella. So I'm going to guess that's where it goes. Okay. Yeah. We each have one more movie, I think. Right. We do. And then, okay. So, so my last one is called Nocturnes. This is another documentary, and it is about moths, just moths. That's that's it. Uh, <laughs> and so, so the reason that I put this on my list, it was a last minute edition because I was listening to IndieWire usually does a live podcast at Sundance, mm -hmm. um, and so I think this year they were interviewing. I can't remember who like how many people were on the panel but it was a series of people who were like either associated with the festival or were like covering the festival and one of the one of the guests was really raving about this movie about nocturnes and how it was like you know this amazing uh and they and and they were predicting that it was going to be like a big sale and end up being like a big a big deal after the festival um and that they were just going on and on how like it was a very like sensory experience and 
uh, had a very strong environment, like a haunting sort of environmental message. And so I was like, oh, okay. Like, I don't, you know, I like, I like nature documentaries as much as the next person. So <laughs> like, I'll give it a go. Um, and I don't know. I just was like, not in the right frame of mind, I think, to appreciate this movie was very quiet and very slow. Um, and there were, and so like, for me, when they were filming the actual moths, I was in, but then there would be like two minutes of moths and then 20 minutes of all this field work, like the scientists in the field setting up the tent for the moths. <laughs> and like, and like driving through the, the, it takes place in the Himalayas, driving through the, the jungle and stuff like that. And I was just like, I don't know if I could do this right now. Um, so I did watch, I did watch the, the whole thing and I did a couple times, like fast forward to get to the moths. Um, <laughs> which I feel bad about, but I was like, otherwise I'm going to quit this movie. So I was just, you were just, just we're going to Herzog as the client. I want to see the moths. Yes. Like, I, I would like to see the moths. I would like um, to see yeah, and like, they were, yeah, it looked really cool. And I think I sort of wish I had seen it in a quiet place with headphones because I was watching it with like, my kids were watching their iPads and like, there's like my, you know, my, People were in the kitchen. People were coming and going. You know what I mean? Like, so there was a lot of ambient noise that was competing with the movie on my TV. And I feel like in a quieter environment, I really would have appreciated because it did sound really good. It was like, like the sound, it was very much like, a. I think I was listening to NPR uh, pop culture happy hour and they use, they described it as like an ASMR experience where it was like lots of like, like chirp, chirping and rain and like, you know, like thunderstorm, thunderstorms, like lots of like ambient noise that is very pleasant. Um, and so like, um, so, so I didn't, I think I did, just didn't, I didn't benefit from it in the way that I would have had I had other viewing conditions probably. Um, but that said, it was like the moths were really cool because what they would do basically is like they would, and hence the title Nocturnes, I think, but like, you know, every night they'd be in like pitch black in the middle of the Himalayan or forest and they would set up this like screen and have like blast like a, a, a light at the top. And then of course that attracts like a million moths. And then they have basically a camera and they're going up super close and taking all these cool photos um, and then like filming them and stuff. And so the colors and the amount of detail and just like the, like, I'm like, Oh yeah, moths are furry. Like, <laughs> like that's how close we got to these moths. So like all that was very cool. Uh, and it does have a pretty environment, like in terms of cinema that supports sustainability and stuff and like in the environment and stuff like that this was it did seem very powerful so there is there is kind of like an emotional core to it um but you just have to have you have to be in the mindset to have this be like a meditative experience i was just not quite there so that's why it's the yeah bottom of my list. <laughs> this sounds like a movie um a a movie that i i deeply respect but will never see but b <laughs> if i were to see it the the pl this would be a thing to see in the theater and i'm not surprised yeah person raving about it likely saw it in a theater because then like you're not going to be distracted uh except maybe by other theater goers but hopefully at a film festival that wouldn't happen um you have the the sound system is like attuned so you get all that all that stuff and then the that sort of slow buildup of the sort of like prep work and everything because you can't like look at your phone you can't tab over to something else like you're just really could be locked into it and I get that. There are movies that are, you know, you just need the immersive experience to get everything out of it. And that is what this sounds like. Um, 
I guess as a follow-up short film, uh, you should you should Google uh, Norm Macdonald's Moth Joke with, uh, on Conan. Uh, it's really good. Um, there, there's pr- like my guess because it's old enough. There's probably like light homophobia in there, um, but still uh, a, a good telling of an old joke. Um, I'm only somewhat serious. Nice, about nice. That. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean that that sounds good. I will note it did win a one of the jury prizes, the World cinema documentary uh special jury award for craft um which you know which makes sense yeah where you're getting a lot of you know there's special jury award for sound and music and acting and cinematic innovation and uh uh and craft is another one so yeah this this does make a lot of sense like how they filmed it and and you know i guess how they set it all up so um yeah i mean it's it it sounds yeah it sounds like one of those movies where again not to not to jump too far ahead um, that gets like a very sort of quiet release maybe uh, relevant to its subject matter and then somehow gets nominated for the Oscars and people are like what's this movie about moths instead of this movie uh, this documentary about Will Ferrell or this documentary about this basketball player like people there's a documentary people know and they're like why wasn't it nominated instead of this. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it sounds pleasant if nothing else. Moths are cool. Moths are cool. I agree. Um, and some of them are very large. Like, like I'm a little moths. disturbed. Like some I moths didn't are small. That. Some moths are large. Um, but, uh, this was my <laughs> level of engagement with this movie. Um, go flap flap. I, I should give it a, another chance. I should I should watch it under different conditions <laughs> just to just to make up for me being like, okay, where are the moths? <laughs> like, where I don't care about the people wearing the moths. <laughs> I, uh, uh, I I I gotta say, it feels bad. Uh, very very uh, very bad interjecting into your review to do a Mandalorian quote and then not getting it right. So uh, I feel terrible um, about not getting not getting the client meme correct. Uh, okay, uh, the final movie I saw, and uh, I'm realizing the downside of going in this order. We started with what we were most excited about is this is the only movie I sort of actively didn't care for. Um, and so, you know, it's sort of a sour note, I guess, to leave on after The Lovely Moths, which sound not bad, just not, you know, exactly what you want. Um, and this was a, a movie called Handling the Undead, uh, which is a Norwegian. I'm, it, it's, I'm looking at it here being labeled as a horror mystery movie. Um, horror's pushing it. I mean, it's, I guess there there are elements that are horrific. I should say there are elements that are horrific. It's a a story of, I think it's three different, uh, families, uh, who, uh, have to deal with the return of their recently deceased loved ones to life, um, through a, a unknown reason where, where the dead come back to life, the recent dead, not, I guess not all dead, it seemed like, um, but the recent dead come back to life. And so like, how do people emotionally react to this strange new return of this person they were in the process of mourning? So continuing the, the 2024 Sundance, or my 2024 Sundance uh, trajectory of mourning and death and loss uh, and, and trying to move forward and, and make connections. Um, it's what happens, you know, and each person sort of at a different stage of that, um, where where they're just like either they're it's really raw or or they're struggling or they're sort of like seem to have kind of come to terms with it, and then it's like, oh, this person's back. Um, and that's interesting as an idea. And you know, it's also playing around with like sort of expectations of zombie movies, because like it's it's 
I, I believe, you know, that there's at least one or two times the word zombie is used. This is not a movie that pretends like no one knows what zombies are. But, uh, you know, it, it is sort of like, oh, but like they're zombies. Like what's going to happen? And, you know, it it feels like an attempt, an attempt was made to uh, to sort of say, okay, well, you know, we know what everyone expects in a zombie movie and uh, let's not do that. Let's talk about like the emotional truth of seeing people come back to life. But it was just kind of boring, and like it, it, it didn't really like issue zombie tropes so much as it like really delayed a lot of things. And was <laughs> like so it's sort of like oh, I guess in this world a zombie wouldn't do this. Th- okay, no, it, it does do that. Like oh, a zombie isn't really you know like this. It's more like so no, it it is like that. It is like what I think a zombie would be. Okay, um, and so. You know, it ultimately it just it just didn't connect with me. I again, I looked, I saw reviews of people that really loved it because they're like, I don't care for zombie movies. I don't want uh, a movie that's some sort of survival like respond to you know treating zombies as monsters, but treating like the return of uh, the you know, the people in our lives and what that means. They thought it was very emotional and they found it very moving. I just didn't. I didn't feel that connection really with these characters. I thought like. Um, you know, just there were long kind of slow stretches that I think we're trying to not quite moth level, but like we're trying to get you into like, and this is the sort of routine of their lives and how they're trying to deal with, with stuff. But like, yeah, for reasons that I, I can't dig into too much because mm-hmm. we get into spoilers. Uh, it's just like, it, it didn't, it all didn't really feel worth it to me in the end. Like that, that time put into it didn't like give me what I feel like it it wanted me to get out of it. And and again, other people did. So maybe some other folks would, would agree. I will say it. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to, Jen, I'm going to turn to you for some hope, help with some pronunciations of these Scandinavian names. Um, but the star of the worst woman in the world, Renate Rainsby, is that, do you have a, I think it's Renata Rainsva or something. Like, uh, I wish well, I prepped for this. I did so, when when the worst person in the world was the hot ticket. I didn't know how to pronounce town. her name, and now I now it's I've only seen it written for so long. Well, well I, I will say, how to pronounce it. I, I will say, and I, I'm not I'm not blaming you, Jen, because you were not the only one. But there were multiple people that were like, and it's a reunion for the worst person in the, in the world between uh, Renata and uh, someone else. And I spent until tonight. I was just like, I guess that's the director of the worst person in the world who also directed this movie. But then it's not. It's one of the other actors. And it's so I was thinking, having not seen the worst person in the world, a blind spot, I need to deal with that. I was like, well, everyone loved that movie. So this movie will probably be really good. And I was like, what happened? Like, why? Like, everyone seemed to think that we had this like real emotional connection. And this one didn't. And it's because it's directed by some other person who doesn't have a Wikipedia page. Uh, and I don't really know anything about them. Um, but I do know that it, the screenplay was co-written by John, and I, I apologize, John, uh, John Ashvidi Lindquist, um, who uh, was the author of the book it was based on. And he wrote the book, Let the Right One In, which is an amazing like take on an old genre in the Scandinavian frozen world, um, is a vampire story for those who don't know. Um, uh, was it let me in? Is that the uh, Americanized version? Which is I have not is seen also, that version. I've that version is supposed to be pretty good, but the oh, okay. the let the right one in is incredible. Um, so 
Yeah, I guess either way, I would have been disappointed, um, wh- whether it was because of the movie that these people, the, the filmmakers weren't a part of, but or if I knew about the movie that the author had been a part of. Anyway, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, again, if if you are someone that really is like, I like elevated horror, I want horror that's elevated to the point that it is boring, then this might be a good movie for you. Um, but, uh, you know, it didn't, it really didn't connect with me. I will also say, and this is one of those things where I feel like we have a commitment to it here, even though it's a little later in the movie and it's a spoiler, there is a depiction of violence to animals that happens in the movie that was very unsettling uh, and is, uh, you know, notable. And I won't say anything further. Um but uh, yeah, that was just, you know, I don't think that wasn't like enough in a weird way that was sort of like, oh, this is, I feel something now. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, won't, I would warn people about that. And I, I would hope there are not many people listening to our show who are like, I wasn't into that movie until I heard about the animal cruelty. Now I'm on board. But, uh, but there's, uh, you know, th- that's there. Be aware of it. Um, and, you know, again, I also don't recommend it to, to begin with. So. Nice. The end. Um, so Mike, Mike and Oscar had a really funny bit about this where I think they said this is a zombie movie for people who have never seen zombie movies before. <laughs> I think I think that those are the only people who would, would be, be it? not even into it, but would be like would f- would feel something from it. Like, OK, I feel like if you see even if you've seen a parody of a zombie movie, like if you've seen like a Simpsons episode that has zombies there would be things where you're like, well, I assume that these things would happen. And then this movie tries to act like that's not going to happen, but then doesn't shy away. Like doesn't actually mm-hmm. give you a different path. It just is sort of right. like, it's just taking it. Uh, it's slow. It's taking its time. Okay. So yes, well, that's, that, that's, a, that's a great bit, a very short, very much more condensed than what I said, but it's true. So <laughs> they, they had a lot of funny stuff on their Sundance episode. Uh, I think they I'll played a game where one, the, the also Mike, who had seen all the Sundance movies quizzed Mike one about like, which one of these is a fake Sundance movie premise. It's, it was really good. You should listen to it. it was really That's really good. nice. Uh, I like that. Cause all of them sound nuts when you read them, the log right. lines for all the movies. Um, uh, and um, love me was one of them. So that's, that's I'm, yes, um, I can imagine. So that's I have to confess, this is a safe safe space, right? I have to confess, I did have a ticket to this movie. I, I was know. very excited about it because I was like, yeah, I love Worst Person in the World. I love, and I looked it up. I believe I was correct when I when you asked me to pronounce it. Renata, Rein, Renata Reinsfa, I think is how you say her name. Um, okay. She's amazing. And I was like, got to see it. And like, you know, Worst Person in the World reunion, let's go. And I'm like, and it's like kind of a zombie movie, like this is a creepy premise. Great. I'm in. And and then what happened was I just happened to not. I think it's because the in the Sundance website, when you log into the movies you have, I think they they might be alphabetized. There was some, you know, it was like the fourth movie down on my list. And so I was like, not in a hurry to watch it. Like I watch, I think I start, you know, I started with. A real pain and was just working my way down the list mm-hmm. and by the time i got to <laughs> handling the undead all of the bad reviews had come out and so i was like mm, 
maybe I'll wait till later on that one. Um, and then you saw it and you were like, it's not good. And I was like, oh, like, okay, like, that's really disappointing. Um, and I had the intention of watching it, but I just kept putting it off and putting it off because I knew that it would probably, I probably wouldn't be into it. And <laughs> when, of course, I'm it's the last night that the screenings are about to expire. I think it's like 1055 Mountain Time is one of the <laughs> last chance you have to watch them on like Sunday night. And I'm like, okay, I can watch Skywalkers, a movie I have seen, I've heard good things about, or this this like weird zombie movie that PT says is not good. And so I watched Skywalkers first, was like very into it. And then I was like, well, it's late. Like I should be getting ready for bed. But let me just watch like the first few minutes of Handling the Undead. And I'm just like, nothing happened. And I'm like, what? what is this? Like what? And I'm like, I can't do this. I it, can't it, do it. <laughs> I mean, in the movie's defense, the undead had not arrived to be handled yet. Like, right. you know, it takes a little bit for the undead to show up. But yeah. Yeah, that opening is like, it's like an old guy walking through an apartment building or apartment like complex. I, yeah, I can see that not being like, I don't, I don't and know. And I was like, there's no conflict yet. I don't, and there are no zombies. So I guess I can't watch this right now. <laughs> like, yeah. I guess I'm not going to watch like a little bit and get the gist of it. Um, so then I was out. Yeah, so. I, I will say thinking about like the, there were part like, because there is this sort of slow and you're like, what's happening? Like what's going on? It seems so desolate. But then you start to get these pieces of, like the way they gave information of how, like who people had lost and why we were following them and what exactly was going on. Um, was you know it, it, the the craft of it all was not like poor, uh, and and the actors were all doing as good a job as they can. And again, I I saw like I, I clicked through. I was like, who's giving four and a half or five stars on Letterboxd to handling the undead? And there were people, and they were just like, I don't like zombie movies. I don't like hmm. the way these stories are usually told. This really spoke to me. The like the space in between things, the long pauses, like all the things that I didn't like, they really liked. So. Okay. You know, maybe there are people out there who would feel they would get really into it, but um but yeah, I think I think your reaction was not a bad one of like nothing's really <laughs> happening yet. Like now imagine now imagine that a zombie show up and nothing continues to happen. Like <laughs> yeah, take away I, the zombies. I, I, yeah, you're describing it very well. I can I can picture it. I can <laughs> yeah. picture it. And I'm glad I didn't stay up all night watching this movie. <laughs> I think it would just made me mad probably. Um all right. So those are all the movies that we saw. You know, if you're listening and you also tuned in to some of the online screenings or you were, you know, fortunate enough uh, to go there in person, we want to live vicariously through you. You know, let us know what movies you watched uh, and, you know, if there are ones that we missed uh, that you that you feel like we should should be on our radars. Uh, we'd love to hear that. Um, but, yeah, we are going to move into Oscars watch. We I feel like we don't have that much to say because we've been kind of talking about it the whole time. <laughs> And this also feels like this feels like when I push back a deadline for an essay in class and it's like they haven't turned in writing project two, but the the clock on the wall says we got to start talking about writing project three. But we're looking at the 2025 Oscars when we're still waiting to see what happens with the 2024 ones. So, yeah, we feel a little out of time, even even beginning to discuss it. Right. But but nonetheless, because this is what we do, we will do We we will do what probably will be pretty brief Oscars watch. Okay, so, I mean, typically there are a few movies that come out of Sundance, as we talked about at the top of the show, that become Oscar players, right? They, they become Oscar contenders. 
Do well, you it's feel interesting. Like... Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I will say it, like that that has only kind of been a recent trend. Oh. For a long time, like in the in the 80s and even through most of the 90s, it was not that common. Like and and the first couple movies that got strong Oscar consideration out of Sundance were like movies by famous people. It was uh, mm-hmm. a Woody Allen movie and then uh, Moonstruck and you know, Norman Jewish. So they had both already won Best Picture. So like they had movies that they brought to Sundance, but like Sundance needed them more than the movies needed Sundance at that point. Um, so it started to sort of become more of a thing, you know, in the, in the 2000s. It was sort of like every other year a movie would get in for like Best Picture. And I'll admit, I'm just sort of looking at Best Picture listings. But I say for like the last decade, it's not every year, but like close to it. There's a Best Picture nominee that comes out of the the festival, whether it's premiering there, Amer- U.S. premiering, or or in the actual competition. With the sort of peak of it being our our aforementioned uh, COVID year um, uh, Academy Awards, which had two Sundance festivals to pull from. So they right. had the father. Uh, the Father, Minari, and Promising Young Woman from the 2020 festival, and then Judas and the Black Messiah from the 2021 festival. And Coda is the only one that's won so far. Coda got the right. got the nomination and got Best Picture last year. No Best Picture, but we had uh, the Bill Nye's Living performance was the uh, oh, that's right was the sort of Sundance uh, legacy in fictional movies. Yeah, and I and I you're right. Now that you're describing that timeline, it really is Coda winning Best Picture that sort of created more buzz for Sundance as a platform for awards contenders. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like, yeah, with Past Lives premiering, the big question was like, oh, it's a Sundance premiere. Can it make it? That's always the thing because Sundance is the first, you know, <laughs> p- critics always complain about this. Like, why are Oscar nominations coming out that the while we're at Sundance like please can we just like give us a minute um (laughs) and and like um so so it is really interesting they gotta be in Park City and pay attention to the Oscar nominations right but but yeah I mean I mean like so so you know it's very early in the award season it's the earliest time a film could premiere and be eligible for the Oscars the following year and so the the big narrative question has sort of become like if a film does premiere does it have the legs to kind of like make it all the way like through the whole year until the next until next year's Oscars um which of these films do you feel like could be could be fit that bill I mean on the narrative side I mean you know again just thinking about how you know past lives and and coda and minari to some degree you know those were the movies where like sundance was over and that's what i heard about people saying like we saw this movie it was incredible oh my god that you know that dd is the one that's in that slot mm, yeah. um and you know there's a, a, like you said i saw the tv glow um and and there is room for a24 weirdness maybe in the oscar conversation uh certainly maybe in like a screenplay uh, uh area but uh I, I i would say right now um dd is the one that sort of stands out for maybe like a best picture consideration uh what do you think yeah i feel like there might be performances that could be oscar contenders i mean i know you're really rooting for june squibb but i feel like kieran culkin is the obvious choice <laughs> In terms of likelihood. Um, and I'm, I'm just, down. I'm down with that. Right, I'm just, right. Yeah, I'm no not one, leading the campaign. Who says no? 
um, so, so I feel like to me, that's the one that sticks out as like, because it is a very big performance. There's lots of like, there are lots of clips that you could use as your Oscar reel f- for his performance. Potentially it does feel like that could be the one that gets, that makes it over. Um, whether the movie does, I mean, I know I've seen a real pain show up on a couple people's lists of like what could be at the Oscars next year from Sundance. Um, and like consistently every article has a, the, 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 um, the still from a real pain as their like headline, <laughs> headline mm-hmm. image. Um, so I'm like, Oh, I guess people are really, really into this movie. Um, which, which makes sense. I also really liked it. So, um, so that's, that's the first one I think of. And then maybe, maybe a Jason Schwartzman or a Carol Kane, Particularly Carol Kane, if people are like, "Oh wait, Carol Kane, we love Carol Kane. Why doesn't she have sure. an Oscar?" Right? Like, I that's that I can see that kind of hat percolating um, and kind of gaining momentum. Uh, but I do feel like it is probably more, much more likely that a couple of the docs that probably not even the ones we've seen. <laughs> like, like I do think Skywalker's does have a shot. It is does feel like it could take the crowd pleaser spot. Usually, there's always one slot in the doc nominees like i'm thinking of last year's winner navalny was a sundance um premiere and or like a sundance uh movie and um that one is like a really well paced narrative structure narratively structured thriller kind of documentary so i can sort of see skywalkers up up like taking that similar occupying that that similar role in the lineup but I feel like there were probably a bunch of other document documentaries that I have not seen that probably would be stronger contenders, <laughs> I would guess. Yeah, and, you know, to, again, to sort of, like, take a little bit of a step back, unlike in the in the best picture and the sort of in the acting uh, zone, where, you know, the Sundance is there, it's present. It's really strong in documentaries. Um, so there's uh, 16 documentaries starting, going back to 1991, 16 that won the best documentary were at Sundance um, were either uh, you know, 12 of them were premieres and then four of them were sort of, you know, either American premieres or just, you know, were distributed there. There's two or three more that got Sundance, like a Sundance grant to be made, but wasn't part of the festival. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, it, now the, 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 the terrifying reality of 1991 being like what 30 something years back but like you know more than half of the documentaries that have won best picture uh oh sorry best documentary were uh you know have come out of sundance um so just you know american dream was the first one 1991 Mm. other winners uh are when we were kings march of the penguins an inconvenient truth man on wire the cove searching for sugar man and 20 feet from stardom and then recently summer of soul and uh, Navalny were not premieres there, but I think it was their American premieres um, were at Sundance. Uh, and there's two nominees this year, uh, 20 Days in uh, Mariupol. I apologize if, again for the Ukrainians this time for mispronouncing, uh, as well as The Eternal Memory. Uh, so, you know, I think the 20, 20 Days is the favorite right now. I could be yeah. wrong, but like, you know, if they might get another one. So, uh, yeah, there's a strong kind of history of, of Sundance documentaries coming through. Um, 
So I do feel like daughters, as mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. like leaving the leaving the the festival again. We didn't see it. I didn't see it. Um, doesn't you know? So I don't really know. But that was the one that had the most buzz. That feels like it might hang around for a while. And I know we've talked about like celebrity documentaries. Maybe don't get uh, a, you know, Academy consideration as much. But the other one I did hear about was Will and Harper, which is about Will Ferrell and one of his oldest friends who uh, recently uh, transitioned uh, as as a, is now a, a, is now a woman. Uh, and uh, you know, like sort of them going on, I think, a road trip, and Will Ferrell like kind of you know, it's a documentary sort of about him being like, I these are people that I. Uh, you know, generally we're just like, great, like, that's good. I, I support the the community, but I'd never really con- interacted with them or thought about them or really knew their stories. So it's a celebrity documentary, but it's about like this big hot button issue that's happening right now. So I right. can see that being something that gets the like, whoa, we'd have Will Ferrell on stage and not just doing a bit to present maybe. Uh, and also like, we're not just being like Will Ferrell, a life, but it's about this important issue that. Right. Uh, it's know, not is, a is celebrity biopic. It's a, right. it's a yeah issues documentary. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I can see that. Oh, so, so the thing that I was looking up as you were talking is that Daughters is a Netflix movie mm-hmm. by Netflix. And so, you know, Netflix usually has kind of been cornering the documentary market for a few years now, I want to say. And it's they true. also have another one um, called Ibelin. Did you see this anywhere? Like, like descriptions of it? Do you know what this movie is? Yes. But I, you know, it was sort of on the margins of people being like, and there was also this movie that I didn't put it in the notes, but uh, you know, yeah, I did see some, so the, the premise of this is that there there's a, a, a man who had a muscular disorder, and I'm probably getting that wrong, uh, and, and after he passed away, he gave his World of Warcraft password to his parents. Oh, yes. And so okay. the movie is sort of following the rich online life that he had through the World of Warcraft um and 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 like on paper that doesn't really sound like it would be a very good documentary like all you know i feel bad saying that but just like the description that i'm like oh okay that sounds like a cool idea but not like an oscar like an awards contender <laughs> type documentary right. but so many critics so i think sean fantasy on the big picture lost his mind over this documentary and was like this totally changed the way i thought about gamers and um, about online communities and stuff like that. Um, so apparently it's very powerful and he's not the only one. Like I think several critics on podcasts that I, that I regularly listen to were really highlighting this film in ways that I didn't expect. And so that's a sneaky one um, mm-hmm. that might, that might get in there um, because pe- it just, it seems to be kind of the un- unexpected breakout documentary. Um because people are like every time I hear someone saying something good about it, they were like, "Yeah, I was really like almost like they're they were surprised, you know." What I mean? it, it was about World of Warcraft, but I liked it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe time for people to finally revisit Duncan Jones's twenty sixteen seventeen movie Warcraft, no. which I had a good time with. I've got no problem with Warcraft. I like that movie. <laughs> uh, I'm easy to please. Take everything I said earlier with a grain of salt. I like the Warcraft movie. Uh, so, 
Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to watch it again. I, you know, as as the the spouse of a former Blizzard employee, I have no comment. I don't okay. um, the, the NDAs might extend that far. I don't know. <laughs> um, I I will note two things. I'm, I'm realizing when I was pulling things together, not that you know this isn't super important, and we're at the very end here. Um, but I didn't actually pull up last year's. I kept looking at 2022 and thinking that was last year. I'm not in. A f- we're a month in and I'm not into a 2024 headspace yet. Um, I, I did forget two of the special jury prizes um, last year. One that was great. One that's just, you know, sad. Uh, the the ensemble cast. Uh, you know what? I'll do the sad one first. Creative Vision, special dramatic special jury prize. The creative team of Magazine Dreams. A movie we'll never see. A movie you're the only um, one who will ever see. A movie I've seen. Yeah, and- you're the only one who'll ever see it. Um, because that's never, it's never going to come out. It's never going to be released. <sighs> it'll, it'll be dumped in like a decade. It'll be, it'll be a little day. Of the cloud will it cloud. even be that? I don't know. Like, I feel like they're going to lock that up in a vault somewhere. So, so for those of you who are like, what are you talking about <laughs> right now? Um, a movie that, that premiered at Sundance last year called magazine dreams was starred Jonathan majors. He was of early an early front runner in best actor. Yes. Do you remember this? People him were versus, really yeah, buzzing. I mean, it could have been him versus Killian Murphy. It, he could have been How the Paul it, Giamatti. What a world we would have been living in. That's so crazy. Um and obviously since the you know the the conviction of Jonathan Majors and how that's all panning out, right? Means that um is it Searchlight? I can't remember who had the movie. I think but it was the, Searchlight. Yeah, yeah. Searchlight had announced that they are pulling. We're pulling the movie from their slate indefinitely, <laughs> right? Um, and I think the last news was that they were. It was technically for sale. Like they were. <laughs> yes. They were like, does anyone want this? Like we don't want it. Um, and so it might. You know, it's very possible the, it might it, not. The rights have returned to the filmmakers, and they can shop for other distributors. Oh, somewhere. I see. So Aww. that's. I also heard everyone saying it's not like finished or like it wasn't, it didn't work in its current form and might need to be, maybe and by it needed another edit. Need right. Yeah. So it's yeah. also a weird, like it needs money to be, to get to a point where people thought it would be good. And the reason to complete it is this incredible central acting performance that now is, you know, uh, awkward at best. And I think like super gross um, at, at worst. Yeah. And it, if, the movie <clears throat> had been about something else. There was hope. There would have been hope. But because the character Jonathan Majors plays is hyper aggressive and violent and troubled, it's like they can't, they just can't. It's just not, yeah, it's a non starter. There's no way to save that movie, I think, which is too bad because I think the, the director, I believe it was his, dir- I can't remember, his directorial debut. And it was like, you know, as a directorial debut was really is really good. It was still like there are a lot of good things about that movie. Also problems. But like, you know, now now it's just like that's the only there's one problem it has. And it's, <laughs> we can't overcome it. So like it's just really it's too bad because I know lots of people, you know, lots of people worked on that film that don't deserve to have no one see it. So like it's just yeah, it's 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 tough. I don't know. Sell it to Ridley Scott. Call Call Christopher Plummer back from the dead. We can fix this. 
I believe in Ridley. He no. can do it. Jonathan Majors um, is in like 98% of the movie. Like it's like he is the movie. It's like a one man show. It's like you don't understand. This is like I there's don't. no way to save this movie. Um, okay. Well, uh, on a happier note to close it at this out, the uh, last year, 2023, the U.S. Dramatic Special Jury Award for an ensemble cast went to the cast of Theater Camp. How lovely. Um, what, a, what, a, what a great time. So see, there's there's good with the bad. In terms of the legacy of Sundance festivals. That's good. I'm glad we ended there. All right. I think that's enough Sundance talk. PT, where if people, folks want to find us, where can they find where can they find and follow the show? Uh, they can find the show, as I mentioned earlier, on Instagram or threads uh, at the long take review. Uh, I, I will try to actually remember to put posts on threads as well as Instagram uh, when when doing things. But follow us there and you'll you'll see some some content. Uh, you can also email us uh, the long take review at gmail.com. Uh, you could follow me on Letterbox. That's the best place to see where I'm actually active. Uh, PT McNiff, PTMCNIFF on Letterbox. And you can check the tags on any of my reviews or Jen's reviews for LTR Pod. Click through that tag, and hopefully, uh, if you if you set the right settings, you'll be able to see uh, all the reviews from us us long take reviewers uh, that we've done in the last, you know, at least since the year began. Yes, you might need to click a couple times. I think is what I figured out. Mm. You have to. There's tabs. There are tabs involved. Yes. <laughs> the default is to show your own tagged reviews and that's it and then you get or, or just the it's just the tagged reviews of the tag where you clicked it so if i clicked on your uh, a tag on your review it'll just show me your tagged ltr oh uh, i reviews. see and so i get you gotta put, do the menu to say show me everyone everyone yeah and then it will show everyone's okay okay I, I, let's explain this every time. I think that, that that's good podcasting at the end of two hours. Well, nice. people only tune into certain episodes, so I don't know. That's true. That's true. And you can <clears throat> you can find me on Letterboxd. Sorry, I was teaching all day today, so my voice is apparently shot. Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd at Qui-Gon Jen, And you can find me on Instagram and threads at Subchakchai, S-O-P-C-H-O-C-K-C-H-A-I. I think, I think that's a wrap. On Sundance, we've we, we've Sundanced until into, into the sunset. I did I did uh, title title this episode Sundance the night away because I still yes. so we everyone still got Barbie on the brain so Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. yeah there we go people are still mad that song didn't get nominated uh, anyway I, we can't get into that right now we can't. Uh, we can't. that's for another episode which I'm surely will I'm sure we'll have that conversation at some point in the future um, all right thanks BT thanks everybody for listening. Thanks, Jen. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can follow The Long Take Review on Substack at thelongtake.substack.com. Subscribe for free to receive new podcast episodes as well as written reviews of films with Oscar buzz and new films and series from pop franchises like Star Wars and Marvel.